You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. So one of the things that we're trying to do is um, we had the idea of doing interviews with interesting people who are doing interesting things. We think, uh, we think God's in all this little stuff. God's in size, even when you sigh. I think God's in it. I think God's in uh, these little things. We don't necessarily have to like get the sermon. Sometimes you maybe you need that. Uh, we don't maybe you need this too, you know. So we're trying these interviews, um, and I think it's been great. And tonight we have a really interesting one, and I'm just going to set the table for it, and then I'll dramatically bring him to the board, and you will give him adulation. <laughs> so I met Jim, uh, Jim Getz, uh, is who we're speaking with tonight. I met him a couple years ago uh, when I first got involved with this church, Circle of Hope, uh, we were going to Philadelphia and <clears throat> Church of Philly. And uh, I walked in and I, I saw Jim and he kind of, he was got like a Sasquatch thing going on, which I immediately liked visually. And he was also playing a fretless bass. And I was like, well, you should be friends. Should be friends. <laughs> so I, I got to know Jim. And I don't, you know, Jim and I aren't like super pals, but we're getting to know each other more and more. And he's a really interesting guy. And he's an actual Bible scholar, which I'm so excited to say because I don't know any other Bible scholars. I'm the only one. That's cool, personally. Um, so we're going to bring him up and we're going to uh, um, ask him some questions. So come on up, Jim. Now the adulation begins. <laughs> You know what I mean with the Sasquatch thing? Hi, Jim. Hey there. Well, um, let's get into it, man, because you are so interesting, and uh, I I think we've got so many people who want to ask you stuff and try to stump you and all that fun stuff. Uh, Let's just jump right in. So, can you? um, I told. I just told everyone that you're a Bible scholar. Sure. So, can you explain what exactly it is that you are scholar of? And kind of maybe give us like a sort of brief, how'd you, like, how'd you get there? Okay, so, uh, all right, so it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's hard to even answer that. Um, so, well, technically what I do right now is um, I actually teach world literature over at Temple University. Um, but part of the reason why I do that, and, and as part of that I get to teach Gilgamesh and the Bible and the Iliad and all sorts of cool ancient texts that I care about. Um, but part of the reason why I'm doing that rather than something else is because my degree is in Near Eastern and Judaic studies, focusing on basically Babylonian witchcraft and Canaanite necromancy. Which is, if you've ever been on Monster.com, there aren't any jobs in that. And so you wind up having to do other things that are slightly related to it. Now, how did I get there is, is kind of an interesting question. Um, I was a teenage fundamentalist. I was a teenage fundamentalist. It's going to be my the title of my bio. That's an Alice Cooper song, right? It should be. Yeah. Man, that'd be great. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, I started off um, in a very conservative, uh, fundangelical background and uh Wait, so for those of us who yeah. might not know 
what that means. Can you can you give us like <laughs> so, so, some gentle, gentle like a gentle? So uh, so yeah. So for example, uh, you know, kind of the seven day litter creationist, um, very uh, not not entirely, but oftentimes very literal reading of the Bible. Right. As a matter of fact, that's where I started having problems right. of why I wound up going towards Bible uh, and studying more of it is because I grew up in a tradition where I was supposed to take Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 literally with talking animals and a perfect idyllic garden. Uh, and I'm supposed to take all the stuff in the book of Revelation where you've got these giant locusts that come out of the sky and the moon literally turns to blood. All that I'm supposed to, I was, to, was supposed to take completely literally but when you got to, say, the Sermon on the Mount, um, and uh, these moments of like, Jesus said, telling people to sell all they have and give it to the poor and blessed are the peacemakers, that was figurative. And that was a metaphor. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm supposed to take, why I'm supposed to take Genesis and Revelation, but this other thing. So I kept on going and studying the Bible more uh, and until I eventually got so far down the rabbit hole. And I was like, oh, wait, there's this whole other movement that I just realized I kind of came out of. Um, but yeah, so I started off um, from that kind of perspective. I went to Eastern College back before it was Eastern University, uh, and woot woot uh, back in the back before it was university, before the dark times, before the empire. No. Um, so anyway, um, so they but we um, so and, and moved somewhat out of this fun, very fundamentalist paradigm of the Bible. Uh, and while I was there, I discovered that I had a knack for uh, Hebrew and Greek and things like that. I was I was the kid that got C's in Spanish, but apparently, it's, if you don't ask me to speak a language, I'm okay with it. Uh, and so I started studying all these dead languages, and I went off to seminary uh, with the intention of eventually doing a PhD in this stuff. Uh, and then so basically went to Fuller for a couple of years, and then went out to Brandeis up outside of Boston mm. uh, to do the PhD in it. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's it, You're qualified. <laughs> yeah. You're qualified. All right. So, yeah. Here's, here's what I want to try to do. Um, sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by asking Jim one question, and then I'm going to let him go, and then I want you guys to, let's just, let's have a conversation. Let's not, let's, let's not have it be Pat and Jim interview. Um, because I think that we've got a lot of questions about the Bible. Um, and I think Jim is an awesome guy to help us maybe understand it in a modern context. So you, you don't have to filter them. You can be, Jim's, you don't have, you don't have to filter it, right? Um, I can't claim I'm going to be able to answer everything. Okay. I, I didn't think that, I didn't know we were going to do that. Yeah, yeah. I I actually thought it before, and I lied to him and told him it was going to be like totally. We're easy. just going to talk about friendless space. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So here, all right, my question so, yeah. is, why study the Bible? Oh, well, that's a nice easy one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean that there's there are many possible reasons to answer. So this isn't the definitive. I mean, because there's, there's a bunch of different ways of, of answering a question like this. Um, one of them, at least for me, um, I mean, because it's one of these things, like, I've, I've been studying the Bible, and the, the, the numbers of years I spent in higher education are enough that I don't even want to count. Uh, 
But um, and so that 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 answer even changes when you're doing something long term, like getting a PhD, it changes a lot over time. Um, but one of them is 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 that the Bible is this. I mean, it's a foundational document of our faith, um, and it also is this this recording of all these shared experiences of others trying to work this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, you go to, like, in the Bible itself, in, in Hebrew is where it, it talks about a great being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, of course, now we have all these people post-Bible we could talk about as well. Teresa of Avila and, you know, you know even, even contemporary saints like MLK and things like that, people like that. But the, the, the Bible itself, though, is sort of that bedrock where you can see not just people working things out uh, individually, but also when they bump up against each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we had talked about this one earlier, um, you know, how you have multiple stories, yeah. right? You have four Gospels, not one. Uh, we don't yeah. just have, like, one letter by Paul. We've got all of these letters. Uh, and he doesn't always say exactly the same thing because he's having conversations with different people. Uh, and so you get to see that um, variety with continuity, that it's not just a monotone discussion, but you're able to see this, you know, people working out their faith uh, in different ways and in different contexts. Uh, and it's important to, and, and you get it all in one book, you know, today, right? You know, obviously the Bible is a, a book of books. But it, you know, it's, you're able to carry it around, uh, as opposed to you know, if you're reading C.S. Lewis or uh, Teresa Babila or or Carl Barth or somebody, you're you're just having their view, but you have all these different yeah, views on yeah. God um, that are in dialogue with each other. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when you're dialoguing, people you don't always agree, but they're they're all in the conversation together. So it's it's important yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Again, it might not be. The only, it's not the only reason. It's not like that's the only way to read right now. So it's, but not, it's, it's not like all theoretical. It's, 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 a, it's people really in, in real time, in real life, like what Scott was talking about. The church is yeah. probably not, like, not that unsimilar from, 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 from who we are right now. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. I like that. All right. Let's do the fun. B is passed. He passed. That's the okay, that's good. Go ahead, man. So when you're playing a fretless bass, like, <laughs> how do you know, how, no, seriously, how do you know okay. where the notes are? <laughs> well, it's funny. So at the time that they were at South Broad, and, and, and in some respects, I, I'm still mad at you for stealing the McGowan brothers when you left. Uh, because Ben was, our, was there, and then he's like, I'm going to go over to Jersey, and I'm going to take the McGowan brothers with me. And I was like, Half my music team just left, <laughs> and I was very sad. It was a sad day. It was a very sad time for. But Jim. we love you we so love much. You. Yeah, you've got you got to you got to go with these guys. Anyway, um, uh, okay. Why is Ruth in the Bible? Sorry, um, I changed oh, it. Oh, yeah. oh good. <laughs> okay. Ruth is awesome. I love Ruth. Um, Ruth is a great book. Um, but why is it in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? So, Ruth is a great book, that, and it's it, I. I'll tell you why I think. I mean, other people might just, all right? It's, I always feel like I need to say it. So other people might say other things. As far as we can tell, Ruth is written uh, in this time 
frame and uh, for around this time frame that we call the post-exilic period. It's a right around the time that um, the uh, group of uh, Jews that had been away in exile in Babylon are coming back to the land of Israel, coming back to, to Jerusalem. This is the that seminal moment, the 70 years, more or less-ish, uh, that they, they that when the Babylonians come in, they sack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take off uh, the, 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 the aristocracy, and basically anyone who could read, take them take to Babylon for about 70 years. Babylonians get conquered by the Persians. Persians say, hey, you want to go home? And a lot of people are like, hell yeah, and they go back home. Um, a lot of people don't, but that's a whole, we don't care about that. Um, <laughs> We never see about it. We don't know what happened to them. Anyways, but so they come back uh, and they get really concerned about who can be a part of their community. Uh, and you see this, for example, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they are like really conscribing who can be part of this new post-exilic, we're going to rebuild the temple and do this community. And they kick out people who historically, if you look in... Um, Books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus historically had been allowed to kind of interact with uh, the, 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 these traditions. Uh, Moabites, for example, are the great example of this. Uh, and so Ezra and Nehemiah is like, no more Moabites. You can't come and hang out with us. You're not cool. Um, and Ruth is probably written down around that time frame. You're like, no, 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 no. Pump the brakes. Like David, like who's like pretty important, right? Uh, his his grandma is a, is a Moabite, like you can, you can't just like you know like because they're like saying it doesn't matter if even it's like four generations of Moabite you can't be part of this. Well, you're saying that David couldn't be a part of the uh, the, the this situation. So it's this corrective so, to to what's happening in Ezra and Nehemiah. So just to be clear, Ruth is a story that happens after got written down after the exile, right? But, it, but it's about some somebody that existed before the main. Oh yeah, Jewish dude David. Yeah, it's, it's his grandma. So da yeah, the the story of Ruth take, takes place probably somewhere like eleven hundred or so BCE, uh, but it's only been being written down like five hundred. Uh, so I mean, yeah, which is you know talking about long memory. Okay, um, so it's like six hundred years later that they're they're writing it down. It was probably running around. There's some indication that it was probably running around as oral tradition. But it's, yeah, because it's definitely like, writing it down like, no, no, these these guys in Esther Nehemiah, these Esther Nehemiah guys, we need a corrective. They're, again, we're going to be in dialogue with other parts of the community. Because it's like a play-by-play. -play. It's like you go, go to the field, clean, you know, like it's like, oh, yeah. so was that, was that world tradition like well-developed that it was like it had this, um, this story arc to it with like the surprise uncovering of feats and stuff? What's, do you want to go? Do you, no, do don't. Do you want to go down there? I mean, no. yeah, feet means... Means bits. I means you know your stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of one way to read Ruth is that Ruth and Naomi basically trick uh, Boaz, uh, this 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 other guy, into thinking that he has actually slept with with Ruth, and because he's a very honest fellow, that he will do the right thing and marry her. Um, that's one way to read it. Um, there's other ways to read it, which, but it's, it's it's a really interesting book because there's there's all this kind of if you read in the Hebrew, there's a lot of sexy language uh, that doesn't show up in the little um, didn't show up in my like you know 
you know, Caucasian children's Bible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like everyone's way too, like Jesus is always in a white outfit with a blue sash. Like, you know, I, we all had, well, not everyone, but I had one of those. Uh, my kids didn't. <laughs> when, we, when we bought a, a, a picture Bible for our kids, uh, we would go to like Barnes and Noble and sit there with all of the Bibles. And, and my requirement was like, Jesus has to look like a uh, sunburned Jew. Uh, and eventually we found one. Uh, and it was like, this is the Bible. Jesus looks like a sunburned Jew. Uh, but anyway, um, McGruth is a great book. Uh, and it, it's, it's, but it's, it's one of these things that like anything else that like has layers in the book itself. And then it's like it arguing with other books in the Bible. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. Cool. All right, let's, let's keep going. What do we got? Uh, Dan and then Steve. Okay, so what do you say to somebody who saw Religious, the Bill Maher <laughs> movie? I, I haven't seen it. And, and says something about how uh, uh, Horus uh, and Osiris and how that uh, you know influenced the, the, the myth of Jesus. Oh, yeah. the, the dying and rising God stuff? Yes, yes. And that happened, you know, before Jesus, and it's like, oh, Jesus isn't even an original thing because it doesn't matter about Yeah, and the Egyptians have read at the cross, right? Oh, I have an answer for this. Wait, like in the Ankh? No, like people say that the, what do they call it, the Ankh is the Egyptian cross. The Egyptians really invented it. The cross is a Roman method of execution. Right. Well, actually, the funny thing is, like, the first people who actually started crucifying people were the Assyrians. Okay. The Assyrians were not nice people. Um, they were trying to come up with ways to kill people slower. They would have competitions uh, where they would uh, skin people alive, and, the, and they would try to see how long they could keep people alive while skinning them. They were not nice people. Uh, like you know, when you have those, like you know, there are reasons why Jonah's like, I'm not going to go tell them to repent. Yeah, they're like they're horrible people. Uh, like legit, and then. <laughs> God's like, and I'm gonna save them too. And you're like, mind blown. Um, hmm. But uh, but but so that's about the whole other thing. So Osiris stuff. So the 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 classic answer to this, um, C.S. Lewis brings this up in A Mere Christianity, uh, and talks about how yeah you you have this dying and rising God motif that shows up in Egypt with the Osiris stuff. You might have it also happening. You, you have it in the Adonis myth, uh, which shows up. We know it from Greek tradition, but it's probably from earlier from Phoenician stuff. Um, some people want to see it in the Baal traditions in ancient Agarit, which is 1350 or so BCE. Um, sometimes people say it's in Babylonia, but I haven't found it, and I've spent a lot of time there. Um, but the interesting thing is you don't have it around... Any, any any of like the close neighbors and 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 uh, and also in Judaism itself, the one tradition that does not have a dying and rising God in it in in like like go look at the Old Testament. There's no dying and rising God. Uh, Yahweh doesn't die; he just is. Uh, so the one group in that whole area that doesn't have a dying and rising God, and then it's out of that religious tradition that you wind up with Jesus. So it's, it's, you can do that, it, it's sort of, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's interesting. All these other cultures had this, and the one that doesn't winds up with Jesus showing up. Huh. Um, 
you know, because it would it, if you had the, the 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 idea of Jesus showing up in um, Egypt, that would be like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? And when you see some of the squirrely paths that different groups that split off from Christianity take in Egypt, you can understand like, oh yeah, this is like this other thing. No, they went off. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah. So that I mean, that's one of it. The other thing is is that a lot of that Osiris myth stuff that that people want to look at. And I, again, I haven't seen religious, uh, religiosity, whatever it's called. Religious. Religious, yeah. all right. Uh, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, yeah, but a lot of the time when people do that kind of stuff and they, 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 they're doing this, they, they're using this, basically it all goes back to a couple scholars from about 100 years ago who um, basically took all of these different religious traditions from around the world and said, this all kind of looks alike, and they threw it all in a pot together and then made their own thing out of it. Um, the, the classic name with this is uh, Frazier, who wrote, uh, not not the show, uh, Frazier, who wrote a book called The Golden Bough, um, but also Gaster's Thesapids, and uh, then you wind up, it's, it's in that tradition that you also wind up getting like, um, here with a thousand faces, and then of course, eventually you get to Star Wars, right? right. Um, all that stuff kind of comes out of this one tradition. But what it winds up doing is it, it did what it did by kind of boiling all these different world myths down and taking out anything that made them all different from each other. So it's it's one of these fascinating situations that when you take out everything in a story that makes it different from other stories, then of course it all looks the same. Uh, it's, huh. it's the points that where it's different that make the story unique. So sometimes when you have like this idea of like the hero's journey, uh, and like oh that everyone every story has this. Well, it does if you ignore the bits that don't have it, uh, that don't, that are different than it. So it's it's one of those things, and it, it was a very common thing. Uh, I, I I just spent a month uh, in London, uh, and London is wonderful because it's kind of like they they're, they they. They, they're still so unabashedly colonial. Uh, it's like, yes, we took all this stuff from other places in the world, and it's a good thing we did, by Jove. And you're like, <laughs> uh, you know, in this way that like I feel really bad about uh, it now. But it's out of that kind of you know, like when the when the sun didn't set on the Roman Empire on the Roman Empire, that was awkward. On the, on the when the sun didn't set on the the, the, the British Empire, and just like we're going to take everybody's stuff, and like of course all these stories are the same. Right. Those are the people who were kind of smushing this all together to begin with, too. Uh, and so a lot of times when they're like, oh, well, of course these are all the same. Well, maybe it, it wouldn't be if you looked at it at the stories themselves. And we, we've had a lot of those stories that when you go back and look at it, just to try to look at it individually and, uh, without this sort of then white guy going, oh, it's the same as this other story. Then you start to see, well, it's not quite, doesn't quite make the point that you're telling me it does. So there's a little bit of that too. These questions are so much harder than I told you they were going to be. But you're, I, Oh, it's fine. Steve's up next. That, so Steve. that's why I wanted to preface it. Go ahead, Steve. Steve got and poor Steve. Like, Steve and I, like, he, we've been trying to, he's been like, we need to get together and talk sometime. I'm like, yeah. And then I forget. So I'm so sorry, Steve. <laughs> well, this is my great opportunity. Oh, I want to bounce off a question. I mean, not a question, uh, the conversation you had with uh, Ben here. Uh, so what comes to mind with that, uh, like, for instance, the prophets that are written like long before the actual events happened, like you're saying in the 500s or so. Uh, I look at stories like Hosea, and usually it tells like 
a story like, for instance, Jose and his wife, uh, Gomer. Yeah, and and uh, you look at that, and it speaks of more of a broader issue. Or like when you take a look, a look at the story like uh, Ezekiel in chapter 23 of the tale of the two sisters. The older sister represents Samaria, and the other sister, the younger sister, represents Judea. Again, representing a larger picture. So my question is, is like, were those stories like, like later invented, or was it like an editorial note, like this actually happened to somebody, and then just kind of jotted in, intertwined with something like that? I mean, oh, yeah. So that's a that's a really interesting. So yeah, that's a. I mean, this is a good question. I mean, people people write books on this. Uh, so that's the short answer. Uh, <laughs> it's a really good question. People write books on it. Um, but yeah, like as far as no, but as far as like anything I'm saying now, it's like really condensed. Um, but yeah, I've I've read papers and books and stuff on like, did this really happen with Hosea? And I feel like half of this stuff is really inside baseball. So if you've never heard of Hosea, I apologize. Uh, basically, it's this prophet who God tells him to go marry this woman who winds up being this unfaithful wife, and like he like names his kids like not my my not my child because it wasn't, uh, and like it's. But it, the whole thing is a metaphor for this idolatrous relationship that um, Israel has with uh, its God. Um, and so there's that question of, did God really tell um, Hosea to go off and marry this prostitute? Like, go marry Roxanne, really. Tell her to put off, you know, turn off the red light. Uh, you know, <laughs> this, is this actually happening? <laughs> Who doesn't love the police? Not, not, not. I mean, the band. Um, <laughs> I, I want to like the police, but um, anyway, Sting, Back bass player, fretless. Yes. Sorry. I'm trying to bring back. So yeah. So Homer. So there's like people were really wondering about this. Like, is this is the entire book allegorical, or did he really marry this this unfaithful woman, and then all this crazy stuff happens? Um, or is it the, the whole thing a, a metaphor? And I, I, I've, I've, you know, you read one, you're convinced to read another, or you're convinced the other way. The two sisters in Ezekiel, I think, is just a metaphor. As far as Hosea, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but you know, he yeah. sounds so personal. So he I'm does, and he sounds so personal. And like the, the thing that you might not know too is like books like. Basically, all of the prophets are written in poetry, and they're really, really good poetry. Like, Hosea is really good poetry. And again, you don't think of this because you read it in English, but it's written in really good poetry, too. So not only is it this, like, this gut-wrenching story, and it's also predictive of these things that are going on, and it's you know, speaking truth to power, but it's also said beautifully, too. It's like crazy. Um, amazing skills. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I'm, I'm I'm thinking Ezekiel probably is that story in Ezekiel. Most people think that that's a metaphor. Jose, it's really up in the air, and it's it it partially because people have this. It, it, it's not so much even for the story there. It's like what does this say about God? 
uh, that God tells you to do this, to go off and, and, and put yourself in this, this idolatrous relationship. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is when you read people arguing these things, you, sometimes, you get more of an idea of sort of their own issues and how, like, like what do they think about love? Uh, and so, yeah, it's a really ambiguous question, but it's, it's one of those places. I had a, a, a prof out at Fuller named uh, John Golden Gay, and he would talk about texts that would read you as you read them. Uh, and I wonder if that, this is one of those moments where you're like, as you're reading Hosea, and you're like, this can't be, like, what does it say about me that I can't accept this, or, right? And so that, those, kind of, those kinds of situations. I say it happens. All right, next one. Awesome, good job. Uh, <laughs> I, I, You're are, wrong. I am no. so bummed because we are running out of time. Let's do one more. Scott let's has do, one. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, let's do uh, one. I was just thinking about the Old Testament. What would Ian say about the Shoah and it's that coming out of the ancient world? Is it really uh, unique? Like, can you get excited? Like, can you speak more about it? The, the Holocaust? Think of it, is it, am I pronouncing right? The Shoah, the Lord your God, one God. Oh, the Shema. Shema. The Shema. No, the Shoah is the name for the Holocaust. So that's why I was like, the Shoah. Um, the, the Shema. So yeah, so um, uh, again, because I don't want it to be too inside baseball. Deuteronomy uh, uh, 6.4 uh, is this statement where the Shema Israel and uh Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. Uh, and this, this monotheistic statement. Um, uh, it's kind of one of these bedrocky kind of things. Uh, is that unique? So there was an attempt to in, in the ancient Near East um, about probably about 150 years before the Exodus. So about 150 years before Moses historically, um, where there was this pharaoh in Egypt named uh, Akhenaten, and he rebuilt this entire religion around himself uh, in, in Egypt and created a, a, like the earliest recorded monotheism. Um, and uh, you can go over, if you go to the Penn Museum of, of Anthropology and Archaeology in West Philly, they've got a bunch of stuff about that over there. It's also a really cool museum. It's like one of the best collections of Egyptian stuff in the country. Ten bucks, go, go check it out. Um, and um, so, but his religion was basically, it wasn't like monotheism like we think of it, like all of us pray to one God. It was, no, 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 everybody has to pray to me as the king, and then I'll talk to my God, who's my buddy. Uh, so it was basically just this giant power grab, uh, uh, trying to kind of make, put himself, he was trying to get rid of all the priests in Egypt and make himself the only priest. Uh, and... So that was an early attempt at monotheism. It doesn't look like ours. Um, there's a guy named Simo Parpola, um, who was at the University of Helsinki, um, and he talks about uh, that the Assyrians might have been kind of glomming everything into their high god, Asher, uh, by about 700 or so BCE, uh, which is depending on how you date Deuteronomy, is contemporaneous with it. He's, 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 of the, he's one of these guys that thinks everything was from the Assyrians. Like, weirdly so. Like, everything, like, Kabbalah, um, the, just everything. You read these things by him, it's like, no, everything goes back to Asher. Volkswagen. Volkswagen, everything goes back to everything. Uh, the police, everything. And so, um, 
But even that wasn't really a monotheism like we have in the Bible. Uh, and it's pretty unique. And what's, what's fascinating is that I spent a lot of time, Pat and I were talking about this, about, about um, kind of these other gods that are running around that you hear about on the fringes of the, of the, um, of, of the Old Testament, like Baal, who is a god that, that they're, people of Israel two-timing with, uh, the god of Israel with. Uh, in, in Hosea. Um, and you read these texts uh, where the prophets are always railing against these gods. Uh, and now with modern archaeology, contemporary archaeology, we're digging up all these things. It turns out the prophets are right. Like everyone's running around worshiping all these other gods uh, up until about the exile. I would take it back to the exile. They, they're, they cut that out. They learned their lesson from having their temple destroyed by the Babylonians. Um, but yeah, you hope, right? <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a unique situation, but even Israel took a long time to figure it out. Uh, that, that process of learning what monotheism is, I mean, like, cause you, you read the prophets and they're like, no, really, you only have to worship one God. And we don't really think about the fact that like, no, really, they, they weren't, we've got trinkets all over the place. Everyone had, was worshiping Baal and Asherah and all these other gods, along with, with the God of Israel, Yahweh. Um, and, and this was a real problem, cleared up until the exile. Um, and, and that points to the fact of how counterintuitive it was in the ancient world. Uh, if you fast forward to the past the New Testament, to the, the first generations of the church, uh, one of the, the ways that they would refer to Christians were, was as atheists. Because the fact that they only believed in one God was basically the same as atheism to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the there's a, a tale of martyrdom of this guy named Polycarp, uh, and um, uh, they 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 wanted to renounce Christianity. They're like, just say, "Cursed be the atheists!" And he looks at the crowd and he points at them and goes, "Cursed be the atheists! I've been a Christian my whole life. Feed me to the lions. I'm ready for it." Uh, pretty badass, but yeah, but that idea it, it, it's. It's very, it's so unique that even Israel couldn't get it down half the time, right? Mm-hmm. All right, guys, this was so interesting. I'm sorry we we have to stop. Here's some good news, though. Uh, this, there's a lot of good news. First thing, we're going to barbecue afterwards, so you hang out and talk to Jim. There should be a line of people <laughs> for Jim, and we're just going to use this. This is only the beginning, man. Also, I hope that maybe this conversation maybe sparks some interest. And some Bible stuff um, for you. I know I'm interested in it. So if you are, I hope it sparks some interest. Come back, talk to me, talk to us, talk to Jim. Uh, we're kind of we want to get into it with you too. Um, let's stop though. Jim, thank you so much. You're so interesting. Let's give Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell. You can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.